This podcast is only possible because of your support. Please consider donating, if you can, using the links in the description box. I'm Elia Habur for the Beirut Banyan. We're continuing my conversation with Eddie Ferris, where we compare COVID situations in both the US and Lebanon. Make sure you check out the earlier episode for the first part. In this one, we talk about how physicians communicate uncertainty surrounding this situation, how they can cope with the stress, and how we can come out of confinement. Here's part two. The way I feel that they're dealing with the lockdown is you open a chocolate bar, you take a bite out of it, and then you close it and you hide it from your dietitian. It's like sort of like, oh, let's open up the country for a day. And then, oh my God, the number of cases went up. Let's close it for five days and let's open it back up again. And it's like, there's no plan for you to open up the country because you're not, like you believe that the only uh, marker by which you can gauge the control over your over COVID is by how many cases you get per day, which is not accurate because ultimately the disease is a snapshot and it's not just oh, a, a day by day assessment about what you do. A lot of countries who have been transitioning out of lockdown, you know, in Europe or elsewhere, even some states in the US have had like days where they've had more cases than the prior day or the day before as they're transitioning out of lockdown, but they did not, you know, buckle and they're like, yep, let's go back into lockdown mode yeah. because you know, they know that such a thing is expected. You're supposed to expect an increase in numbers as you're letting people roam a bit more freely. And you should have a contingency plan. And if if the numbers increase, this is what we're going to do. Lockdowns as needed are not the solution. It's either you lock down and you have a plan to be in lockdown for several months. And that includes giving people allowances or giving people um, ways to get food or all that stuff, which, you know, I know the Lebanese government cannot provide. Or you need to have a plan to come out of lockdown, which, you know, they've been in it for two months. And that, I think, is a sufficient time for them to have local control over the situation, which a lot of countries have had. Coming out of lockdown needs to include testing, tracking, and isolation, which is what they've done in South Korea and they've done in other Asian countries. And that's why we talk about those countries as countries that have beaten COVID and have even managed their second and third waves that they've had of the disease because they were ready for it. And at this point, I don't think, you know, we have an excuse anymore not to be ready to come out of lockdown, especially when we've been flaunting our good numbers to every single international publication that listens. True. You also mentioned uncertainty. So people not knowing what to do in case there's something, etc. How do you deal with communicating that uncertainty, especially with your patients not really knowing what's going to happen or even with your parents and friends back home it's very important to be honest with our patients which is to say like look we've been dealing with this disease you know definitely uh, more intimately than almost anyone else but we also don't know much so i cannot tell you when you're no longer infectious I cannot tell you for sure when technically you become infectious and you stop. I cannot tell you if you're going to have symptoms or not. I cannot tell you what the extent of your symptoms is going to be. But what I've been telling them is if you think you have it, then act as if you do, at least for two weeks, because that's sort of like the period during which we're all saying, you know, this is probably a safe window. Although, mind you, I've had patients test positive for it 30 or 40 days after their initial test. So, again, we don't know enough. Um, but the advice that I give everyone is don't go places that are crowded. There is no urgency behind you getting those Zara pants you've been eyeing for long. I don't think you'd fit in them anymore anyway. You don't need to go to bars that are crowded. If restaurants are open in your area, make sure those restaurants are observing um, the requirements of reducing their clientele by 
um, so that you can actually be safe, be sure and safe that they're, you know, you're at least six feet away from um, the next person that's there. Um, and wearing masks is essential to protect you and to protect others from you. Um, hand hygiene is essential. You can have a small Purell in your um, purse or in your in your pocket so you can like wash your hands after almost every, you know, everything. And it'll pass, you know, it, it's gonna be fine. It's tricky, it's dangerous, but if we keep doing what doctors are telling us and not what politicians, you know, uh, with ulterior motives are saying, then I think that's sort of our gateway to get out of this um, situation, knowing that, you know, we may have a second wave, a third wave, or we just may have to live with this virus. We just don't know enough yet for me or anyone really to to make an assumption and to tell you, yeah, this virus is going to be around forever and you're going to have to live with it, or, you know, it's going to go away and it's going to be fine and we're going to go back to our daily life in two months. Um, having that in mind, what are your thoughts on how healthcare practitioners can cope? And if you have any tips for fellow healthcare workers uh, who might be listening? I think, you know, with a lot of, of what's happening now is that it will pass for a lot of us. You know, a lot of us are tired, especially those of us who work in New York or who work in, you know, more bigger clusters of the disease than Pennsylvania, even those who worked in northern Italy life goes back to normal and you know it's going to be traumatizing or rather tiring to think about it for a long long time but i do think that as it goes in medicine we have a very very fast turning wheel that you know of patients and of exposures and of things that we do in our daily life it's, it's, a, it's a high stress job that is fortunately rather very quick i think in a few months from now if the virus goes away or you know if, if we have more data and more ways to manage it or maybe hopefully a vaccine we will look back and at this period and maybe forget about the negative parts of it and think more about how you know it made us better doctors and better humans to be able to be exposed to the, the frailty of a human life at this, at this level i would say okay my last question is you've practiced in both settings in the u.s and also in training in lebanon and you know that given the country is basically bankrupt resources are even scarcer now. What are your thoughts on resource allocation from a medical perspective right now? Like what is the priority that should be done in a Lebanese context? The last numbers that I saw from a Lebanese context, like about hospitalized patients is that I think 11 were in the hospital and four were critical. I don't think we're at a point where we're jeopardizing our, or where we're close to saturating our hospital beds. You know, I think Resources allocated to those people should be there, clearly, but ultimately those resources are not going to be different from any other critically ill patient that you have. So they need, you know, they need availability to a critical care bed, uh, ventilators, you know, all of the required antibiotics um, in case they develop pneumonia on top of their COVID-19 infection, you know, medications to support their blood pressure, all of the regular things that an ICU should have, they probably should have available too. But I think in the, you know, in the non-critical care setting, then they should allocate more resources to testing, uh, which I don't know exactly where that falls on the list of national priorities. And I think we should not forget that diseases other than COVID-19 still exist. And, you know, the probably the leading cause of death in Lebanon nowadays is either malignancy, cancer, or heart disease. And those patients still need the resources that are needed to save their lives in case they have a heart attack or their chemo. Um, you know, other life-saving medicine. And I've seen reports about how, you know, given the currency essentially jumping off a cliff and hospitals rather not having access to U.S. dollars, they've, there's been a shortage or 
they're approaching a shortage and even getting that type of medicine to um, patients who desperately need them. And I think that's sort of something not to forget about as the other side of the COVID-19 crisis, which you know we're starting to feel here, which is when we're focusing on the COVID patients, there are a lot of other patients sitting at home waiting for, quote unquote, their turn to come to the hospital. Um, and those people still need their care the way that they did before COVID happened. Super. Thank you so much for your interview. Sure thing. You're welcome. If you'd like to be featured on the show, I'm available on Twitter and Instagram and would love to hear your thoughts about previous topics we've discussed or even new ones that are on your minds. Let's keep talking. Elia Haber signing off for the Beirut Banyan.